Amen. Glad you're with us today. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope. And uh, today we're going to be in the book of 1 John. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to 1 John chapter 5. That's where we're going to kind of settle in. Uh, if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, please don't panic. We'll put those verses on the screen, and we'd love to gift you a copy before you leave. Certainty. That you might know. These are the things that we're talking about in this series because this is what the book of 1 John offers to us. God and the Holy Spirit, through this guy John, one of the apostles, offers, reminds, instructs Christians on how we gain what is essential certainty. What we have very little of in our time, uh, our lives, our our culture, our our Christian culture even, today. And so we've been thinking about it, we've been looking at it from lots of different angles, and as we're coming to the end of the book, there's only five chapters, we're in chapter five, as we're coming to the end of the book, we're going to try and weave together some of these different themes that we have. And I kind of need to get a little bit um, mean, maybe, to set the stage for it. So, I don't know if you know, uh, but in the sports world, the big news this past week was a guy named Miles Garrett. Anybody hear about this story? It was the Browns defensive end who, in a, a losing game towards the end of the game, takes the helmet off of the quarterback for the Steelers and then puts the helmet back on the quarterback. I don't know if you saw it. He took the guy's helmet off and then he... Tried to take him out. I, I, I don't know what exactly he was hoping would happen, but he hit him in the head with his own helmet, which is something to do to a man, I guess. Uh, and and it's a big deal. People are asking, is this go beyond the bounds of just what the NFL should deal with? Is this something that maybe the legal system should step into? And it's a big deal. It's something to, to try and figure out in, in the sports world. And I don't know uh, too much about how we should feel about what took place, or if you should. I I generally don't care a lot about what happens to the Browns or the Steelers, but uh, the quote from Miles Garrett afterward uh, caught my ear as we're thinking about the things we're thinking about at Hope Church. He said, Last night I made a terrible mistake. I lost my cool, and what I did was selfish, unacceptable. I know that we are all responsible for our actions, and I can only prove my true character through my actions, moving forward. Now, that caught my eye because of what he said about proving his true character. Before we get too intent on the statement, let's just remember that we are absolutely uh, always intending to obey what Jesus said about not judging others. Who are we to say what we would have done in that situation? This guy... If you think about it, and you look at, if you just Google Miles uh, Garrett, and he just pops up on your Google page or whatever, this guy was a giant. He was somebody who won the genetic lottery, and he walked through life as a titan among boys. He's the biggest guy in any room he ever goes into, and his life trajectory was probably, and I don't know what his personal life was like, but from a professional standpoint, success after success. And he gets where he's going to know he's going to go to the NFL. And he's thinking about the unbelievable amounts of money he's going to make and influence he's going to have. And he's thinking about where he might go. And then he ends up going to Cleveland. And he has to live his life in Cleveland, Ohio. And you imagine the sort of monkey's paw 
deal with the devil he made to get all the riches in the world, but you have to do it in Cleveland. Oh, you know. So if you had to do that, I don't know, maybe you would bash some quarterback heads as well. You can't judge him. But the one statement that he makes, I'm responsible for our actions, and I can only prove my true character through my actions moving forward, is something we can zero in on. Not because we want to know more about Miles Garrett, but because we say something very similar often. And I think we're wrong to do it. His, his statement seems to make you think that his true character would never do something like that. That what happened in that night was an absolute outlier, an anomaly. And that he's going to have to slowly show you his true character through his actions going forward. And you say, yeah. But the idea, the sort of underlying idea behind that statement is that your actions don't show your true character. I don't think that's what the Bible says is true about us. As Christians, one of the reasons we might continue in destructive behavior, that we might continue in what the Bible calls sinful behavior, that our hearts might continue in a a loveless relationship with the Father, is because we look at our sin. And we say, oh, well, that's the anomaly. That's not my true character. So we don't hate it. We don't repent of it like we should. And we somehow disconnect our actions from our character, our actions from our identity. I don't know that we can do that. Paul David Tripp, who wrote the book that we're going through, as community groups, how people change, he said, trials don't cause us to be what we have not been. Rather, they reveal what we have been all along. Don't be so foolish as to think I'm talking about Miles Garrett here. When you and I look at our lives, we see things we wish we hadn't done. And often we assume, oh, well, okay, but that was, you know, and then justify, 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 justify. We start making these different excuses for ourselves. And that allows us to continue the behavior. Is that what God has offered us through the certainty that he he offers us in Jesus? Is that what the Christian life is supposed to look like? Or... And this is what I think 1 John 5, 1 through 5 helps us see. Is there something other that is supposed to come out of the new nature he gives us in Christ? Let's read it together. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through all five of these verses here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Born of God. Hold that phrase in your head. We're going to talk about it more. Born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. 
By this we know that the love uh, that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we will keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? What is he talking about? Well, if we're going to understand it, I think we want to try and just slowly work through what the different phrases and sort of themes are in this passage. He's talking about those who have been born of God, who have a new nature. If you remember, the whole book of 1 John is helping Christians to understand, are they Christians, are they not? And if they're Christians, how are they going to have confidence? What does that mean for them? And John is always talking to these little children. My dear children, I'm writing to you. And he's saying that over and over and over again through the book because he's helping them to think of who they are. And then from that, what their lives should look like. But don't reverse the order. He's saying who they are. And from that, what their lives should look like. Another place that this is really helpful is 1 John 2, 12-14. We skipped it when we were going through the book because, honestly, it's a little bit hard to understand and put together and because it goes so well with what we're talking about today. So let's, you can, flip back or tap back, I don't know. Go back to John 2, verses 12-14. Let's read this sort of poem in, in the ESV. They, they um, tab over so you can see that it's sort of like poetry language. And he's got these three statements that he makes twice with little modifications. He says that he's writing to little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. He's writing to fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And then he starts over. I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong. Because the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Here's what I want us to think about and try to understand. First, this born of language is talking about your new nature in Christ. John, who wrote 1 John, also wrote the Gospel of John. And famously, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, this guy Nicodemus comes and speaks to Jesus at night. And he comes with these kind of nice, sort of diplomatic ways of speaking to Jesus. And Jesus immediately cuts across all of it with a crazy metaphor by saying, you must be born again. You gotta have a new nature, man. Your whole identity is wrong. We gotta start over. Start over from like when I picked my career, and let's go back further. Start over from like when I sort of had one of these very foundational experiences in adolescence, no, we gotta go further back. Start over as in like how my parents raised me, no, we gotta go further back. You must be born again. 
What is born of a bird is a bird. The bird passes on the nature of bird nests to its offspring. Birds don't give birth to rhinoceri. No, if you have a new nature, it is because you have been born again. That's what God's talking about here. The language that he's using is not behavior language. I'm just going to change my behavior. I'm going to model and you will then emulate. That's what a kindergarten teacher does. She models how you're supposed to be and the little kindergartners follow her in a line. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about birth language, born language, core DNA level identity language that you are not his and then you are made his. That's the categories that he gives here. Children. Children. God's children. We talked about adoption all day last week. Why? Because it is so essential to understanding the gospel. It also happened to be Orphan Sunday. But it was the day that we set aside to realize a theme that is central to not only scripture, but our understanding of how we relate to God. And, public service announcement, December 1st, after the second service, we're going to have an interest meeting for those who want to start taking practical steps towards not just adopting, but being part of an adoption culture at Hope Church. Don't miss that. But he is using nature-level language to talk about how we are now in Christ. I'm writing to you children because your sins are forgiven for his, his namesake. He's given you his name. Having his name and your sin, he forgives your sin. He's writing to fathers because they have known him who is from the beginning. I think the children, young men, father language is probably describing states of sort of spiritual maturity. It's not just have you progenated or whatever? Have you had children? He's talking about when you're first in the faith, when you're advancing in the faith, and then as you get older and you slowly start to mature in the faith. He's saying, what does it mean to say your fathers who have known him from the beginning? You have thought about this one who is from the beginning or even was at the beginning. Here's how John 1.1 says it. In the beginning was the word of God. What? You can just glaze over and just say religious language, whatever. But if you really think about that, how do you say was at the beginning? It's the beginning. How can something was when the beginning is about to happen? You can't be past tense at the beginning, and yet Jesus was. How do you understand that? How does that get into your bones? Well, it takes time. I think you can understand it up here at some level, but for it to really get all the way down, there's something about maturing in the faith, allowing these things to sort of grow in your heart and your mind as you go through the life experiences that God sends your way. But what I'm focused on today is this young men language, because if we're going to talk about progression in the faith, as you have come to Christ, you're hopefully going to very soon be in this young men category as you're growing in your faith. And fathers who have more than this certainly don't have less. So let's understand what it is that he's talking about with these young men and how it connects to John chapter 5, or 1 John 5. I'm writing young men because you have overcome the evil one. This is where we get back to that introduction moment. How do we overcome the rebellion, the destructive practices, the sin 
in our life. Well, I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life and start to overcome. So it says again in verse 14, the second half of verse 14, I write these things to you, young men, because you're strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. If we go back to 1 John chapter 5, he starts weaving together the tests that we've used to decide, are we of him or not? In this passage, in this book, all the different messages we've done, we talked about the test of belief. You can know by what you believe about him. The test of love. Does your heart overflow with, is it beginning to have some love for God and for his people? And then the test of obedience. If you're his, are you beginning to be conformed to his will? Well, these tests are all seen and kind of woven together in these passages. In 1 John 5, 1, in the beginning, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes. Again, this test of belief. that It matters what you think about God and what you think is true about God. Secondly, this test of love in the second half of that verse. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Test of obedience in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we, have, when we love God and obey his commandments. Oh, geez, it's already getting kind of intense. And then it weaves together love and obedience in verse 3. By this, the love, uh, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is love that we keep his commandments. And the fruit of all three of those things coming together in verse 4 Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Brothers and sisters, how are we going to overcome? First, I want us to think about what it would look like for us to be overcomers. You listen to Christian radio in the early 2000s, you may have heard Mandisa singing about being an overcomer. I'm not going to do a rendition, though I'm tempted. When she sang that, though, it wasn't just like motivation language. Grounded in the eternal word of God that never changes, she and John the Apostle <laughs> is saying that we and, and, and anyone who has this nature of been born of God are overcomers. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. What would it look like to actually be an overcomer along these three strata, along these three tests? What if you were overcoming temptation to disobey? What if on a daily basis you were growing in overcoming temptation to disbelief? What if, as a church, as all the little individuals that make up this church, what if we were daily overcoming the temptation to selfishness? And instead, we're starting to grow in the kind of love that God describes in this book. 
What would that actually look like? And before you just start kind of glazing over again, think about what you personally would look like. Take a second. That's what we're trying to do. People lament all the time the way that business language has sort of made its way into the church. It seems like church should be bigger than that. But it's certainly not less than that. When we have goals and we have vision statements and we have practical ideas of what we want to be, that's a helpful thing. And right now, I want you to think about what you would look like as an overcomer. You say to yourself, and this is probably most people, yeah, I'm not really doing so hot. There are lots of areas that I need to change in, and yet the change doesn't seem to happen very quickly. And for the like three of you that say, no, I'm killing it. (laughs) Overcomer, yeah, write me down. You need to work on love. (laughs) Because the Bible's pretty clear. If you're just killing it, you're probably a Pharisee. I'm sorry, that's just true. So you, you need to work on that third one. All of us, though, let's stop and imagine what it would look like for us to become overcomers along these three tests of obedience, um, uh, belief, and love. What would it look like if we were overcomers to the temptations about disobedience? What would your life actually look like if when you woke up in the morning, the first thought was not a remembered guilt and shame? I don't know if you're like me. I often wake up happy. Most people maybe don't do that. I do. I wake up happy. And then I remember. I remember who I am. I remember failures from yesterday. I remember things that are going on, things that are about to happen. I start to remember and I go from ah, to slowly curled over. What if that wasn't the case? What if you woke up remembering yesterday's victories instead of yesterday's failures? Not because you just slowly decided to ignore one and focus on the other, but because there actually happens to be much more of one than the other. What would your life look like if those destructive behaviors started to happen less and eventually went away and you became what God had envisioned for you? Where you go to the church and you are there to now minister to those who had the same destructive practices that you used to have. And you're able to say, by God's grace, used to. What if you were an overcomer and it comes to your faith? Meaning belief and disbelief. I think one of the main, most critical issues when it comes to the church enacting what God has called us to and even the joy level for the Christian on a daily basis is your lack of belief. What would your decision making look like with your stuff if you really believed that today you eat and drink and tomorrow you die? That you can store up treasures on earth, but moth and rust are going to destroy. That thieves are going to break in and steal. But if you store up treasure in heaven, moth and rust will not destroy. And thieves will not break in and steal. And you actually started to marshal together the different material resources that God gave you to make kingdom impact. 
Yes, that means giving to Hope Church. But what if it meant that you were able to really solve some answers for some people in this uh, adoption and foster care process? Solve some problems for some people who are making maybe some really bad decisions, but if you could help them get over the hump. What would it look like for your joy if you really believed that you were really loved by God that much that he would send his own son to die for you? What would it look like if you were overcomers with your disbelief? And then what would it look like if you were overcomers with your love or your lack of love for other people? If we are going to share the gospel with people, it is not a just verbal process. It is a verbal process, but it is not just a verbal process. Your job is not to throw tracks at people's face and then walk past Your job is to enact the gospel by your love for others. Jesus would often begin with miracles before he gets to teaching. Do you know why? It wasn't just to draw a crowd, which it probably did. It wasn't just, if I start healing people, then they tell their friends and everybody comes, even though that happens. But because his love and his authority as God himself had to underline his teaching. We don't have the second one, but we're in his name. And we certainly should have the first one. That his love and his authority should underline any of the things you tell other people. When you tell them that you're loved by God and you love them because God first loved you, do they believe you? The answer is, maybe not. What would it look like if you were an overcomer in that way? This is what I want you and us to be, but how do we get there? Well, again, we just go back to the text. These young men are strong and they're overcoming because, it says in 2.14b, the word of God abides in you. It's because the word of God abides in you. What does that mean? If I memorize the Bible, then suddenly I will never have disbelief ever again? Well, a little bit. But what I mean by this is that when you passionately study the Scripture, you will find in God's Word everything you need to understand and to grow in this new nature that He's given you by faith. When I say passionate study of God's word, I mean reading the Bible in order to experience it like Josh was talking about from Psalm 34. Tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. When you go to the Bible and open it up, you are then to receive this as God's word to you. That's what I'm talking about with God's word abiding in you as one of his children. That it is no longer just a big book. But it is actually God's word spoken to you. Let's start with God's word. Think about that for a second. That as you read through the Bible, as you open it up, and as you're reading those words, you are actually reading words from the eternal God himself. And all of the majesty that comes with the holiness of God is in that word. You think about when you read in the Old Testament how the glory of God would come down and rest among the people and that glory would represent itself as a column of flame. 
And that the presence of God rests on Mount Sinai as Moses goes up to hear from God about the word of the law that he has to give to the people of Israel. And that word, that presence of God is showing as a storm, this magnificent storm with this lightning and everybody's cowing away and even the animals can't touch the foot of the mountain lest they die. That God has spoken. That God whose words will never change. It says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man, that he should change his mind. Has he said it, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, will he not fulfill it? That God has spoken with all of that majesty, and that God has spoken with all of that beauty. Think about other parts of the scripture where he talks about being a husband to us. Leading us and washing away our sins making us white as snow. (laughs) You read about the love that God has as a husband to his people. You read about the language and you start to smell the sense. You start to experience the richness of his love. And that that is God's word spoken, not just out there. God didn't just come to save mankind. It's God's word spoken to you. That God's love has been made available and is therefore you. Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world. He died for you. All that we're talking about and all of this overcoming and all of this great strength that we're expecting from the Christian population. It is not a model that you're going to somehow gain the strength to go out and emulate. It is love that gets down into your soul, down into your heart, and that love so thoroughly melts your heart and grows your heart that you change. Your whole physical nature has changed. Think about the fact that God gave the life of His Son for you. I don't mean to be overly emotional or sentimental. But it is what the scripture says. Imagine holding the hand of your child. When they're little and that hand's fat. Looking into the eyes of your child. And then brutally giving your child for someone else. What is that love? What? What species is that love? And that is the love that God has for you. Not just for, but for you. Has that love been written on your heart? That is what will make you an overcomer. That love, that confidence, that new identity that he's made you to have. John, when he's writing this book, he's never saying, repent, 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 and then God's love. He's always saying, little children who have already been born, who have already received God's love, obey. Gospel versus religion, pull that card out. What's the whole point? The whole point is that he has made you new, and then having made you new, you start to see that growth. Has that what has started to happen to you? If not, let's leave no stone unturned. Have you ever really known him?
pray that you have. But I also pray that Hope Church is the kind of place that gathers people from all kinds of different backgrounds and that there will be many here today who haven't. Have you come to know him so that he has given you a new nature? You say, I've been born again in his love. Has that happened? If it has, are you abiding in God's word? Here's what I mean by that. Are you taking time daily, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, to put God's word into your heart so that it changes you? That probably doesn't mean big portions. It definitely doesn't mean trivia. It doesn't mean you have to know the background to Haggai. And if I don't understand exactly the, the year range of the prophecy ministry of Haggai, then there's no reason for me to even read the book. No, I'm not. No, 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 no. Start with what's there, with what God has said about his love for you. And to take that and to put that into your heart and your mind. I talked last week about memorizing from Romans 8. God has not given me a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Did you memorize that? Do you put it in your heart and you stir it up on a daily basis? That's what I'm talking about. Rachel and I, we spend time in the evenings. This is something we fight for. To reset. You take about two minutes of silence and solitude and then you start thinking about our, our relationships to God and man. E. We ask God, okay, based on what's going on in my world, what are my emotions? What am I feeling? What are you teaching me with the way that I'm reacting to the world around me? Yes, we just memorize and meditate on some scripture. Maybe it's that Romans verse. A lot of times recently it's been the first chapter of John because we've been talking so much about 1 John. E, we think about our environment. We just look at the creation God's invisible attributes that have been made clear through the creation. And then T, we just stop to be thankful for what he's done. None of that is just about memorizing tons of scripture or being impressive to other people because of your biblical knowledge. It's about simply allowing God's word to be spoken to me as an individual. Are you doing that? If you're not overcoming, let me ask you to start. Let me ask you to stop making excuses for it and start abiding. Man, all of this is so possible to just take your first step. Just come back next week. Baptism service next week. You want to see something that physically shows the gospel? Watch these baptisms next week. It's going to be crazy. Not only can you come back for that, but after that we're going to have a Christmas series that leads up to Christmas. What's more fun than that? What's more fun than a Christmas series where you're starting to think about Christmas and Josh is already playing uh, uh, Christmas carols before Thanksgiving even? What's better than just take your next step by coming back on Sunday mornings? Think about exploring community groups. Christian, non-Christian. First time here, you've been here two years. Think about exploring community groups where you can have people show you love. It's hard to love you if we can't find you. Go to a community group and let your people get to know you and love you. And just do what it takes to put yourself under God's love that you're going to see in his words. You abide in his word and then become overcomers. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would ignite our imagination to just see, that you would help us to really believe and see what you have said is true. In Jeremiah, you said that you're going to put your law within us 
You're going to write your law in our hearts. That we're going to, you're going to be our God and we're going to be your people no longer. Each of us is going to teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for we will all know you from the least to the greatest. Because you are going to forgive our sin and remember our sin no more. Lord, would that be true? Would you write that on our hearts? Would you make that true at Hope Church? We're asking. Would you send your spirit to make these things clear to us? And with those that have been little children, would they grow into being young men and overcomers so that the world might know who you are? Pray these things in your son's holy name.